Shalom, friends. This is your friendly neighborhood podcast host, Jake Rubin. Welcome to MSU Hillel's The Weekly Kvetch. This podcast features news, interviews, and a whole lot of kvetching. So I'm excited for you to join me and my trusty producers, Sophie and Nate, as we dive deep into all things Jewish. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Weekly Kvetch. I remain your host, Jake Rubin, and alongside my producers, Sophie, Nate, and MSU Hillel, we are super excited to bring you another epi- another awesome episode. Uh, this week, we have a very special guest, Yoshi Silverstein, who is the founder and executive director of the Mitsui Collective. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. It's good to be on. Of course. Well, uh, before we get started, we have a quick word from our sponsors. So uh, let's hear what our sponsors have to say. The Weekly Cafetch is sponsored by MSU Hillel, the place to be for more than 3,500 Jewish students at MSU. The Weekly Cafetch is also sponsored by the word Shalom. It means hello, goodbye, and peace. Shalom. Perfect. Well, Thank you, sponsors. That was very, very informative. Okay, and now we're going to move on to our next section of the podcast. Let's give them something to fetch about. Fetch. 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 So, Nate, what are we fetching about this week? Well, Jake, we are going to fetch about something that is truly uh, important to the lives of. Um, all of us, I mean, the whole world, basically, that's caffeine. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you take it as coffee, matcha, tea, uh, just drops under your tongue. Um, I don't know, an IV of coffee, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, caffeine is something that is <clears throat> so magical and mystical. Mm-hmm. Um, it is such a such an incredible part of our lives. Uh, and that's what we're going to fetch about today. Um, because... Should we really be drinking as much caffeine as we're drinking? Hmm. Let's ponder that together. Well, here's the thing with that. You have to limit the amount of caffeine that you drink. Like my mom, she drinks, I don't know, like three cups of coffee in the morning. That's a lot of caffeine. But I only limit myself to one cup of coffee and I'm fine. So I feel like if you limit yourself and you only allow yourself to have one to two caffeinated beverages per day or like within the span of i don't know an hour or two then i think that's fine well i uh, i come from a place where i only drink water essentially i uh, so anytime i drink anything that's carbonated even carbonated it still messes me up because i only drink water. I, uh, I've been doing this since I was a little wee lad, uh, except for bar mitzvah season, which I drank lots and lots of pop. Little seventh and eighth grade Jake loved his, uh, loved his caffeinated beverages, but I don't drink coffee because I'm already energetic enough, I feel. I'm just a bursting ball of energy. If I were to drink caffeine, I think I'd just explode into a supernova. So uh, I take it as I, uh, I think that I agree that there, I, I limit myself to essentially one caffeinated beverage a week essentially which is like <laughs> which is not something i even think about it's just something that kind of happens and i'm like oh okay i guess today is the day i'm gonna be shaky all day but uh yeah so that's my take on uh coffee or caffeinated honestly things. smart to not get into coffee <laughs> like it's smart delicious, sure but, 
but also like delicious. Um, mm. I I drink. I have a venti from Starbucks mm. every single day. Um, I don't love supporting Starbucks, but I love the convenience, and I'm I will I will pursue my justice later. Um, but cold brew from Starbucks, good to go. Uh, and then it's fun because on Yom Kippur every year, I basically like vomit from um, caffeine withdrawal. Uh, so I'm, I'm all in. I'm locked and loaded. We here at the Weekly Kfetch support caffeinated beverages. But if you are addicted to caffeine, like coffee, and it's Yom Kippur, you know what? God will forgive you. Even though you're not supposed to eat or drink, God will forgive you if you have some coffee because you need that to be yourself. And without coffee, you will go insane. And God does not want you to go crazy. Okay? I don't know. Have you read the Torah? There's a lot of uh, <laughs> a, a lot, lot of, of a lot of allowing of wildness. <laughs> that, that, that's my personal take on it. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. You know what? I mean, I think here, let's round it out with this. Sounds good. Drink coffee if you want to. If you are under the age of 18, please be aware of what it will do to the development of your brain. If you're over the age of 18, please be aware of what it will do to the development of your brain. Drink as much water as coffee uh, while you're drinking your coffee. Space it out. And we love you. We love you. The moral of every story. We here at the Weekly Fetch love you. <laughs> perfect so that was our uh let's give them something to fetch about for the week uh yeah heck yeah kaboom explosions okay so yoshi for those of us who might not know who you are can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background and kind of what you do yeah definitely so um so I'm Yoshi Silverstein he him his pronouns and identify as a Chinese Ashkenazi American Jew um I you know you can <laughs> There's the long, long version of this, which I assume you don't want right now, but I'm happy to, you know, obviously dig into various pieces of it. Um, but in short, on my dad's side, um, his family comes from their, you know, Ashkenazi Eastern European Jews coming from Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, by way um, of Ellis Island. And then he was born in the Boston area uh, and then moved when I think he was eight to Southern California and spent the rest of his childhood there. And then on my mom's side, um, her family is Chinese and uh, her grandma, uh, or sorry, her mother, my grandma, is from, originally her family's from Canton province in China. Uh, she was actually born and raised in Guyana when it was under British colonial rule um, and then married a Chinese diplomat um, who then got stationed to Texas and that's how they ended up in the States, who's actually, again, there's a lot of layers to this, but he's actually, he's my biological grandfather. Um, they got divorced uh, when my mom was still a kid and then a few years later, my grandma married my step-grandfather, um, uh, grandpa jimmy who is really who he's who i grew up with you know as my knowing as my grandpa so he's also chinese um from canton province um but went directly to the states uh, you know didn't didn't do the detour to uh to guyana yeah. in that case um and then also yeah just a couple other things i grew up in spokane washington so small small city um very small jewish community um and uh 
yeah, we can fill in, fill in the details, but in terms of what I do now, so most of my career has been in the Jaffe space, which is Jewish outdoor food farming and environmental education. Worked at a bunch of different places that I you know don't need to list right now. Um, most recently, though, it was at Chazon, uh, running the Jaffe Fellowship Program. And then um, just uh, actually like a year and a day ago is our, our launch anniversary date, launched Mitsui Collective, which is the work that I do now. And our mission is to build resilient community through embodied Jewish practice and racial equity. Um, and sort of in a nutshell, we'll, we're really thinking about what are the challenges that we are facing in the you know 21st century, year 2021 now and moving forward, both in the Jewish community and also more broadly. Um, and how do we as a community really rise up to meet those challenges? How do we prepare ourselves as individuals um, to really have that internal resiliency in body, in mind, in spirit, in soul? Um, and then also, how do we think about that on a, on a collective level in terms of community, um, you know, and thinking about not just self-care, but also community care and really building up a community that sort of has its own um, internal strength and resilience um, in and of itself, as well as then being sort of in um, in partnership or in solidarity with other communities. So yeah, it's a little bit about me and my work. It's quite a nutshell right there. It's very nice. Uh, so you that might be the shortest I've ever done it. Wow. So really, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> no, I mean, it's pretty good. It's very, very expansive. I mean, it's, it's interesting. And that's why there's a lot to, to talk about. Right. It's an right. interesting journey. So uh, you told us a little bit about uh, the Mitsui Collective and like a little bit about what you do. But if, if you wouldn't mind, would you tell us about like how you kind of uh, came up with the idea of the Mitsui Collective a year and a day ago almost, which is crazy to me. Mazel tov yeah. on well, that, by launched. the way. That's really <laughs> launched. Yeah, mazel tov on that. Thank but, you. The, uh, the idea was the idea was, was probably before, you know, but like where took did me that... longer than a day. Oh, I to... bet. <laughs> where did that ideate and launch? Yeah. Where did it arise from, though? Uh, yeah. So I um, so when I, so I grew up um, in involved in Jewish community. Like I said, you know, small but like very tightly knit community. That was really. Um, became sort of uh, one of my home bases in a lot of ways. Uh, and then in my family, we also, we spent a ton of time in nature, hiking and skiing and just getting out. Um, actually went to a Montessori preschool that was housed in an arboretum. Um, so it was like literally from, you know, preschool time. Um, was, was sort of just like immersed in nature, also playing a lot of music. I was also a martial artist. Um, I guess still am, but you know, starting starting young, I don't practice as much anymore as frequently. Um, so really a lot of things that I didn't necessarily think about it in this way at the time, but I now look back and see that those were all sort of what I would call embodied practices. Um, and I was sort of doing all of those things uh, sort of often in, in different contexts, um, but I, I also found that whether it was spending time in nature or also through music or these different things that I, um, I just sort of continually kept coming back to thinking about like, what does this look like through a Jewish lens? Um, and so, you know, just thinking about music, for example, um, I think it was in ninth grade, I just started, you know, wanting to play, um, and this was, this was uh, for my for cello, which was my main instrument in, in high school, uh, wanted to play Jewish music. And so so I started, so I learned this piece, Kol Nidre, um, which is the composition is by is by Max Bruch, and it's based off of the sort of traditional liturgy and melody. Uh, so I learned that, and then I actually ended up playing that uh, for three years, you know, 10th, 11th, 12th grade when I was in high school, as one of the three renditions of Kol Nidre um, in my, in the, in the synagogue, uh, which was just a really, really meaningful 
um, experience for me. You know, I wrote my like college application essays about <laughs> it, right? And so it was just like one of those things that just it felt like it took something that I enjoyed like playing music and that was already meaningful and then just sort of rooted it and grounded it that much more deeply and sort of gave me this outlet to tap into sort of other aspects of creative expression. And so um, I won't tell the full, full story because whatever, it takes too long. But like mm -hmm. in college is sort of when I was playing with a bunch of different um, ideas in terms of what I wanted to go into um, study-wise. And like at one point I had this plan to do a double major and a and triple minor and had it all worked out and then like one class didn't work in the schedule and the whole thing just like completely fell apart <laughs> i wouldn't have i realistically i would never have been able to do it but i for a hot second i thought i could um so anyway it was in the midst of that i even went pre-med for for a brief um stint it didn't go well so in the midst of that is when i also started putting the pieces together of um really recognizing how much I felt this connection to nature um, and connection to my own spirituality. And then when that was infused in some way with either with Jewish community or Jewish practice or tradition, it sort of really, it like brought it to life that much more and sort of gave me the, it felt like my Jewish practice and learning gave me the tools to really explore that connection in a really deep and meaningful way. And so that's when I sort of launched on this pathway of saying, I want to be a Jewish outdoor and environmental educator. Like I want to facilitate these experiences for others. Um, at the time I had no idea what that looked like, right? Um, the field has grown quite a lot more since, but um, there was only a very small handful of things available. So that really took me off on a whole on a whole pathway of, of that. Um, along the way, um, you know, I was also pursuing some just sort of creative um, pathways. Actually, went and got my uh, after working for a few years, I went back to school and got my master's degree in landscape architecture. So I was really um, looking into this intersection of the you know, environment and ecology aspects, the sort of um, science and engineering, and then also this creative piece of sort of, when I think about architecture, it's sort of, it's, it's weaving all these things together in a ways that also sort of like brings meaning and symbolism um, to the work itself. Like it's something that elevates it from being purely an engineering project or purely a this or that to sort of, to a different, different state. So anyway, um, couple other pieces along the way were that I then, this is about 11 years ago or, or so, started doing CrossFit um, just as a, you know, that's the hobby on the side. I had a buddy who was really into it and was a coach and recommended it. And so I hadn't been able to do it because, you know, he, for a few years he was saying, you should really try this out. I was like, cool, but I live in the mountains. And so there's no CrossFit gym here, right? So when I finally ended up in the Baltimore area, there was a gym near me that I started going to and, and totally fell in love with it. Um, and was doing that in a bunch of different places over the years, started actually coaching. Well, this was when I was living in living in Brooklyn. I was going to Bushwick CrossFit near in my neighborhood and, um, and started coaching there. And so it was um, really on the way, literally driving to our um, level one certification weekend seminar, I was just like daydreaming and sort of like, I like to say like as any Jewish educator does, I was like thinking about what does this thing look like but Jewish? So I was like, oh, what, what a Jewish CrossFit would look like? And and at first I was thinking about like, well, what kind of like workouts and sort of like a surface level of, of that. But then I started really thinking about, well, okay, let's go deeper though. And like not, not just what does the program look like, but what is the actual sort of container or the space for it? Um, and that really set the vision for what Mitsui Collective would become, um, which is sort of bringing in 
multiple facets of sort of like what are the essential needs that all of us need as humans in general um, and that we can also then think about through a Jewish lens and so the need for regular movement, the need for social connection, the need to be in nature, the need to have like healthy and nutritious culturally uh, diverse food, right? And sort of like stacking all of these things on top of each other so um, like we can go to one place to really meet all of those needs and we can do it together as opposed to like I think everyone these days, I mean pandemic aside, but we're all going, we're all like going to a bunch of different places and we're all doing it all on our own. So let's like flip both of those things. Um, and then the final piece then, so I just started to like dream about what this actual physical space would look like and what the different components would be. And then that sort of laid the groundwork for, for thinking about the work. And then meanwhile, I was also getting really involved in the Jews of Color community um, and both sort of doing specific programs or you know events and also just being part of community building work. And so as that sort of continued to go along, um, the other sort of major piece of Mitsui Collective started to coalesce, which is this racial equity piece. And so started to realize that really we needed to ask not only the sort of the question or the driving question behind embodied Jewish practice being how do we experience Judaism through our bodies, right? That there was also this really important um, sort of analog to that, which is how is our experience of Judaism and of Jewish community impacted because of the bodies that we're in? Right. And so um, thinking about that sort of like dual approach to being in community together, to developing practices together, to sort of like um, really thinking about how we bring our like our full bodies and our full selves into the work. Um, and yeah, so I was dreaming about all of that um, for a couple years and starting to do some side projects and and some writing and just sort of getting some of the ideas out there. And then as I was coming towards the end of, of what would be the final Jaffe Fellowship cohort, um, and was just ready to move into my next, you know, um, move move away from Chazon and into my next thing. I was sort of like, all right, let's see if we can get all the pieces together to, to launch this and was able to get enough seed funding that I had some runway to say like, all right, going to jump in and do it. Of course, I didn't know that a month later a global pandemic would hit. Oh, so that's been interesting. Yeah, of but uh, that's it. That, that's, yeah. Yeah. How, well, then, so with the pandemic then, how have you guys been operating? Yeah. Is it, have you so, changed change anything or like had to? Oh, no, everything's been exactly how we thought it would be. Oh, really? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, uh, yeah, the pandemic changed everything um, or changed, changed a lot. I mean, I, I um, so we're based in the Cleveland area. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we my wife grew up here. We moved here about uh, just over a year and a half ago. So we, we knew that there would be some and we moved here to really like we've got uh, our daughter is now three and a half. Oh. Um, so we moved here to be closer to family and like really put roots down um, and just like be part of both be part of community and part of building community in really a longer term sense. Um, and so I already knew that there was going to just be continual, continual community building work that was going to happen. Um, when I first launched, I thought that 70 or 80 percent of the work would be really locally focused in terms of community engagement you know, piloting some different programs, you know, doing pop-up things here, trying this there, like partnering with different organizations. Um, but, you know, in-person local work. And then we would do some other smaller amount of things that would be either in different places or sort of on a national scale or working, you know, working outside of Cleveland. So when pandemic hit, that basically completely reversed. Um, 
And, and I mean, thankfully, I was able to still do a lot of work. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a funky thing, definitely translating embodied teaching through Zoom. Um, it, obviously, it's not the full experience, but have, you know, have, I feel like, you know, pivot is one of the words of 2020. Yeah. I was able to pivot, um, you know, and, and figure out like, okay, what are these things that we can offer online and, and ended up doing a lot of partnership work um, with, with other organizations or other communities that, you know, um, brought me in to do workshops and speaking engagements and whatnot. So that has ended up being the majority of things. Um, we did end up also running uh, over the summer, we did a tuba of uh, festival. So Tuba Av, which is the 15th day of the Hebrew month of Av. Um, so it's sort of like a, it's, it's basically like a Jewish love festival. It's not a super well-known holiday. It's sort of gotten a little bit more well-known over the past, I don't know, decade. Um, and, you know, like one of the traditions of Tuba Av is sort of like, it like harkens back to this tradition where people would like dress in white and like go out into the fields to like meet their soulmate. And like that clearly wasn't going to happen in the middle of a pandemic right or shouldn't so yeah, so we thought okay but i was sort of noticing that other organizations like nobody was really doing anything for tubav because everyone was just like scrambling of like what are we going to do for passover what are we going to do for shavuot right like how are we going to do these things online um and it was also something that really spoke to the work that we're doing in terms of embodied practice and racial equity and so i thought so i thought let's let's sort of turn the lens a little bit and we ended up having the theme be self-love and liberation and thinking about how do like we're spending all this time in isolation and silos how do we sort of focus on strengthening just our relationships with ourselves and our own bodies and then also use that as a lens to, to build community and and work towards racial equity and so we piloted that and had a whole like a full day of offerings um brought in a ton of different you know different teachers who are all running different embodied practice workshops and um we did like a virtual campfire and just also so so that was probably the biggest single event that we produced entirely in-house um and then otherwise yeah have just been doing like a ton of online teaching um and and you know the other thing then you know so moving into this year continuing to do a lot of that and then seeing as things start to open back up um both continuing, whether it's on Zoom or eventually in person, but to sort of continue to pick back up on the local community building. Um, and then also to really work towards that, this physical space that I mentioned, like that's really the core of the vision uh, is to have that space, which is a combination, it's sort of like a hybrid of movement studio space. So you think about like a CrossFit gym or a yoga studio or dance studio, it's like something along those lines. And that's where folks are really coming and plugging in multiple days a week, right? If you think about, um, again, during non-pandemic times, and I do have faith that eventually <laughs> we'll be back to being able to gather in person, but this is this is something that folks do multiple times a week, and that's sort of the core. Um, and then we've also got nature space that has, you know, sort of like an urban farm kind of a thing, um, some meditation, healing therapy garden space, like a nature playground. And then the third piece is a food, uh, communal food aspect. So like a dining hall, cafe, something, but basically it's something that allows folks to sit together for shared meals, um, to spend time together and also just like have a way to, to just even get access to predominantly locally and regionally sourced, you know, super nutritious, culturally diverse food, um, as a way both to, again, meet our needs of we got to eat, right? Yeah. But also to like overlap that with, I mean, you all are in college, so it's sort of like you're in the, well, I was going to say you're in the dream right now, except you're also in a pandemic. But like, <laughs> it's almost like, you know, it's like, 
why do we stop having dining halls when we leave college? Like, mm-hmm. it's such a, it's like, a, it's a naturally what we call sort of like a stacking of functions where like, yes, you're meeting the need to eat food, but you're also going to sit with friends and connect and like, just have that just like multiple connections and sort of getting more out of that time, um, you know, than, than each of those things necessarily in, in isolation. So um, I don't know what the exact timeline is of that, of course, um, but but that's sort of a, that's what we're really working towards in terms of the local space and then all of the sort of community building and programming that grows out of it. And that really becomes a laboratory too for, you know, I think um, we've been able to do a lot online and on sort of this like larger scale, but that's like a very, it's very, very wide, but thin in terms of developing the work. Um, and so this local space is really the way to then go deep. Um, it's sort of like the laboratory to really um, research the things that we're doing that are sort of like really new um, and, and need just that like time and frequency to really, uh, to really explore in a meaningful way. That's a very good answer. <laughs> well, uh, so you, you, you mentioned college students and that's actually most of our audience is college students. So do you have any advice for any like young adults or college students who kind of want to get more into this, into this practice of embodied Jewish, you know, work or what are some important things to remember when kind of entering into this field of like embodied Jewish work or practice? Yeah. So I should maybe define slightly more of what I mean, at least when I talk about embodied Mm -hmm. Jewish practice. So there, um, so there's a number of things that fall under that umbrella for me, um, some of which are very new, but a lot of which are not at all new. And so the thing, so the things that are very well established, um, either because there's a modern iteration over the last several decades or even a hundred years that sort of become well established, or in some cases because it goes back thousands of years. But so, so we're talking about song and music and you know um, and dance, right? Like those, those are not brand new. Um, but of course, so, but I think those are things that are embodied practices, right? Um, prayer and ritual, not across the board, but often, you know, or when done in a, in a certain way or done, you know, can very much be embodied practices. Um, we're talking about nature connection, whether that's being just like going for a walk in nature or just sitting in nature. It's just like so much of a multi-sensory experience to be out in, in nature, um, growing food, getting your hands in the dirt, right? And of course, eating food. Like I like to say, if if eating food is not an embodied practice for you, you're really doing it wrong. Cause I don't like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, what, what are you doing if you're, so, um, so like all of those things fall under that category of embodied Jewish practice and are, and are not new. Um, we're just sort of like, pulling from things that are already well established or maybe and you know maybe curating them or organizing them in a slightly different way but we're sort of tapping into things that are already well established and then the area that is really the creative edge of our work is really the jewish movement and wellness practice and so for that it's really thinking about um i mean broadly what does self-care and community care look like from a jewish uh, from a, through a Jewish lens. And I think that's something that, you know, I've worked in the Jewish communal and organizational world for a long time. And I think, um, you know, to varying degrees, we talk about it. Um, but I think as a community, we're not as good as we could and should be in terms of really figuring out how to make it happen for each other. Um, you know, it tends to be something that gets, that gets, um, 
like pushed pushed to the edges of like that's something you know I'm talking and then I, right now I'm thinking I mean if I'm thinking about the you know working world but also thinking about like college time there's I think it, it's similar it's just like instead of being at work you're I mean some college students also work right but like you're in you you got your 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 you know your your studies your classwork etc maybe your your like side work and then and then there's like whatever time you have outside of that you know so whether it's the, you know it's like that's where the self care gets pushed is to those edges and thinking like how do we actually structure the whole thing so that self-care and then care this community care because self-care we can't actually do it by ourselves that's the thing we have to do it with others and in relationship to others and um otherwise otherwise it just becomes self-centered right um so so how do we really like build that in so so that's the that's like a broad context for thinking about this and then specifically with this movement practice that's where we're sort of trying to get a sense of like of like, what does a Jewish movement practice look like? Um, and that's the sort of guiding question. And there are certainly there are certainly movement practitioners who are Jewish, and some like lots of folks. And then there are some folks who are thinking about it in a Jewish way. Um, and so part of the work is just connecting with those folks and learning learning from each other. Um, but at least in my experience, there is not sort of like a real practice of Jewish movement that exists in the way that, for example, yoga exists, um, or a lot of martial arts, or like capoeira, or, or, or a lot of dance forms. Like, these are practices that have evolved and developed out of a, out of a very specific context. So if you like, you know, where, where it is not, like on the surface level, we might see the movement by itself like the different forms or the different poses or the different flows or whatever. But that's layered on top of like a really deep history of connection to a specific place and a specific culture, to specific like ecologies, um, to, and, and often to like theology or, you know, doctrine or like philosophies as well. And so you actually like, you have to, you can't, if you if you try to pull those things apart, you're actually not getting the full picture of what it is. Um, and so this question for me is is just really interesting of how do we um, how do we really think about this through through a Jewish lens? Um, and so anyway, that's the question guiding the work. And going back to your question of for yeah, college students, how do you think about this? I mean, I think um, so. I guess there's two main things that I would say. Um, and I'll go to the more narrow one first and then go more broad. So one is like for folks who are particularly interested in this question of like movement practice. So maybe you've got you've got some sort of movement background and you, you already know that this is something you enjoy doing. Um, and again, whether you're a dancer or a martial artist or an athlete or et cetera, you know, or like a theater major, because like turns out theater majors like do a lot of movement work. Right. And that's something that I didn't necessarily appreciate when I was whatever younger and didn't know as much about like theater um so is to is i think to have that lens um of of because i think what's important for me like there are there are these deep roots there's a lot of mindfulness work in in jewish tradition um there's a lot of work in terms of meditation um you know obviously spirituality like think about like kabbalah and mysticism so there's a lot that we can tap into um but in terms of like this bigger movement practice there's not very much so i think it's a combination of 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 tapping into what we do have in our tradition but also to really be in dialogue with other practices and traditions and to see um you know not in an appropriative way of course where you're like 
taking things from other traditions, but in ways that you're in dialogue. And I think um, like when you see things reflected back is really interesting to me. So that's where I get a lot of my inspiration is when I'm doing learning, learning in a context that is not at all specifically Jewish, but I'm learning something movement related. And I see, and then as I'm doing that, I see this like a Jewish idea reflected back to me. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Like we're moving, like all of this movement we're doing is in partnership because it's really important to be moving in relationship to another human. Mm -hmm. And that guides the actual process of moving and learning. And through a Jewish lens, that to me is chavruta, which is the tradition of like partner learning. Usually we think about that in text, um, but in this case it's through movement. So that, that's just like, that's one example um, or different concepts or playing with different, you know, um, reference points, etc. So, so I think that that, and then I would say all the more so for folks who have, um, or just not for folks, for anyone, just to think about what your sort of background and heritage is culturally. Um, and this is for folks of all different racial and ethnic backgrounds, because we all we all have culture, sometimes it's more obvious than than others. Mm -hmm. But to really, I think, have ownership over bringing that into your Jewish practice. And this is whether that's this is through movement, this is also through food or through art or through right, like uh, through through music. But to, um, you know, a lot of the things that we think of as being really established Jewish traditions or songs or this or that or, you know, um, or rituals often aren't that old. Sometimes they're literally like a couple decades old or maybe a hundred or 200 years old, but like over the course of thousands of years, that's still very, very new. And so um, these things that we think of, right, as like, this is the tradition. Not so long ago, nobody even knew they exist, like they didn't exist yet. And so, um, so we can do a lot of that sort of meaning making and tradition making ourselves by, and I think we do that by bringing in. And so for me, it's like, how does my Chinese heritage come into the into it? And when I'm thinking about like Hanukkah, for example, you know, yes, I like latkes are delicious. Like I, I love latkes. We make latkes every year. But like may, maybe I'll also make scallion pancakes because those are also like a delicious fried food. Right. So it's like, what are the things? So like and latkes are not actually inherently Jewish. They just happen to be a staple of Eastern European food that then Ashkenazi Jews were like, Oh, well, that that fits with the Hanukkah and the oil. So we'll eat that, you know, know and that. like, yeah, so there's no that like latkes are not, you know, that the name latkes, it's Yiddish or Hebrew. Um, but like the potato pancake is just it's just an Eastern European food. So like, actually, if you go to like a market in like Vienna in the wintertime, you'll just see like potato pancakes being sold by just like from a cart um you know that's and that's where you see like other whether like the sufganiyo you know jelly donuts or there's um, i think there's a i think it's sephardi tradition has like a, a fried cheese pancake basically i'm forgetting the name of them right now but it's like this expands all of the different options and it's also great because like listen we have eight nights of hanukkah why not have a different fried food every single night i mean yeah. <laughs> you'll probably need some you know some uh some time to recover after after that might be feeling a little you know a little a little heavy um but like that's but it's like the festival of of light and oil and, and anyway so um so that that was the narrow that sort of already went a little bit broad but i think the broadest thing that i would say is you know i mentioned this idea of stacking functions and um it's sort of the idea and it, it comes from sort of a permaculture lens of um of stacking and it's sort of saying like we could do things all 
separately, right? And sort of say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna isolate this task here and this task here and this task here. I'm gonna do all separately. It's gonna take a long time, right? Or I can stack them and think, how do I actually structure this so that I'm, not that I'm multitasking, but that I'm, I'm still just doing one main thing, but I'm stacking the functions so that I'm also getting more benefit out of that one thing. So, um, you know, some examples of this are, um, you know, you want to move your body, you want to spend some time in nature, and you want to connect with a friend who, whatever, I haven't seen for a little while. Like I could do all of those things differently, right? Separately, I could like go spend an hour in the gym, mm -hmm. and then separately go hang out in the woods by myself, and then separately have a coffee date with my friend, <laughs> which is cool. But like that's like three plus four hours of time, and when we're feeling pressed for time, right? And and so like and those are all so then we're like making separate checks on the to do list for each of those, or I could say to my friend. Hey, do you want to go on a walk in the woods together? Right? And then we're still doing one, we're not multitasking really, right? I'm not trying to like walk in the woods and also like call somebody and also, right? Like, and also, I don't know, write a paper. You know, I'm, I'm like, the thing, it's still one main thing, which is I'm going on a walk in the woods with my friend, but I'm getting, I'm stacking the functions so that I'm spending time in nature, I'm connecting with my friend, I'm moving my body, right? Like, it's I'm getting multiple benefits and like, oh, maybe it's also we do this in like three weeks, four weeks, I don't know, something from now when like the ramp harvest, like the ramps are just coming out, which is like a, a wild leek um, sort of spring onion. So maybe we find a place that we can do some foraging and thoughtfully and appropriately and not over harvesting. But like maybe I do that and then I bring that to my Passover table and we've got some like some like local wild you know, bitter, bitter greens that I'm having the Passover table, right? So like, though, that's kind of my idea of like, we're stacking multiple things. So I think the more that, um, you know, I just I'm remembering being in college and just like, there's so much going on at once. There's so many different obligations that you have to your, you know, to, to your school, to yourself, to your friends, to like, all of these different things. And I think, um, you know, it's not like, I don't think we can be 100% stacked all the time. Right. But the more we can find those points of alignment, I think the more we'll just find that like it's maximizing just our, our time and happiness um, rather than sort of just like spreading ourselves thin, like running around trying to do everything separately, um, you know, all the time and just getting super exhausted by it. That was a very, very well thought out and very insightful answer. And I think it's a good one to end it with, uh, to end this portion of the interview. Just the fact that we have so many college listeners and I think that it'll be very impactful. Okay, so uh, what should I rant about this week? For the last two weeks, I've been kind of, you know, making you on the edge of your seats. Like, what is the secret to flying? This is going to be my Jake rant of the week, by the way, in case you were, you, were, you were looking for your favorite part of the week. This is it. You can tune in, turn up the volume, sit back, relax, eat some popcorn, drink some soda, some caffeinated soda, you know, caffeine. Soda. <laughs> nope. We, but, already, we already fetched about that. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Pop. That's neither here or there. But... Uh, Yes, I can't believe I just said soda. But uh, so the secret to flying, what is it? You're, you want to know. You want to know. You keep messaging me. You keep sending emails. Jake, 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 tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us. Well, my friend, it's finally the time. The secret to flying is a couple things. One, 
Peter Pan was close. It's faith, trust, no pixie dust, because pixie dust, unfortunately, has been eradicated once the unicorns were gone. But now it's just faith, trust, and love. All you have to do is find somebody in your life, tell them that you love them really, really hard. I love you. I love you. I love you. And then you'll start flying and you'll float up to the sun. But don't go too close to the sun because my boy Icarus flew a little bit too close to the sun. And last time we know what happens when you go too close to the sun, you explode everywhere and you get your little Jewish juices everywhere, your juices <laughs> everywhere. And you can drink some and orange juice. <laughs> OK, I'm done with this. But the thing is, is that when you fly, you have to be very careful because when you go up above the clouds, you don't want to go too close because as we saw in The Incredibles, you can't wear a cape either. So here's the thing about flying that I've always thought about. I'm like superpowers in general. You have to have good. You have to like have a good like, I don't know, like immune. Like you have to have a good. Uh, you know, cardiovascular, like your heart needs to be pumping good because if you're flying, you're exerting yourself, right? It's like running, but in the sky. So if you're running on the ground and then you transfer to the sky, you're going to get tired. It's like the, it's like when you see like superheroes, like running really fast, you're like, everything slows down, but they're still running. You know, it's not like you're running in the sky. It's like you're running in the sky, on the ground, on the ground, in the sky. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Well, here's what I have to say about this. Flying, I it's you need to be able to do it. You can honestly, you want to know the real secrets of flying leaning close. It's buying a plane ticket, right? You got to go. You got to support your local Delta. You got to support your local uh, whatever the name of the airplane is. Uh, you need to go there, fly, drink the really, you know, the the pop that's really, you know, gross. It tastes different in the sky for some reason. It must be science. But uh, here's the moral of the story. The secret to flying is love and a plane ticket support your delta thank you thank you and now we're going to move on to our 22nd torah portion it's time for 22nd torah hi i'm rabbi jenna stein tarot and this is 22nd torah this week's parsha is truma which details the construction of the tabernacle god's house so to speak god says let them make me a sanctuary which could mean a physical structure but it could also mean that god is the sanctuary that thought expands into the modern concept of making any place or person holy, simply through spiritual connection. Where do you connect spiritually? How can you make yourself a sanctuary? Perfect. Thank you for the 22nd tour portion. And now we are going to continue on to the podcast, to Nate's favorite portion of the podcast, the L'Chaim of the week. So if you're unfamiliar with this portion of the podcast, what we are going to do is we are going to say something in the coming week that we're looking forward to, something in the past week that we want to give a shout out to. So yeah, I'll go first. Uh, my L'Chaim of the week, as uh, most of the time, is to the weekend. It has been a very, very stressful week here in the life of Jake Rubin. And I just need to relax and watch some Criminal Minds and just eat lots of food. And I'm just really, really looking forward to the weekend. Uh, what about you, Sophie? Um, so my roommates and I, we adopted a betta fish Ooh. recently. So that's been fun. I've never had a fish before. So it's mm. really entertaining to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's exciting. Heck yeah. And what about you, Nate? Um, so my L'Chaim of the week is I have a favorite food truck uh, that does breakfast sandwiches here in the Lansing metropolitan area. Mm. Um, and they this, this weekend, which if you're listening to this on uh, February 19th or later, this is la this past weekend, um, it's supposed to be really cold. So the food truck decided they're going to close for the weekend. It's too cold to stand outside. So instead 
instead they're doing a quote unquote pop-up where they just serve all their regular food on a Tuesday, which is the day we're taping this. Mm -hmm. So on my way to work, I got to have what I normally can only have on a Saturday or Sunday. I got to have what I wanted, what I normally would eat on a Tuesday, which is vegan sausage, egg and cheese. Fantastic sandwich. It's called Bangos. I love you. That's my Lachayim. Shout out to Bangos. Well, that was our Lachayim of the week. Very good. Very nice. So, Yoshi, thank you for spending some time with us today and really sharing with us the meaning of uh, just the meaning of embodied Jewish practice and just really just lighting a fire under our butts. Uh, uh, before we finish, though, do you want to drop some of your social media so people can follow you, so people can uh, learn more about the Mitsui Collective or just ways in which people can connect with you? Yeah, definitely. So um, our website website is mitsuicollective.org. That's M-I-T-S-U-I, Mitsui. Um, just say real quick, Mitsui is actually an Aramaic word. It means the activation of potential. Mm. Uh, comes from the same root as matzah. We have Passover coming up. Ah. Um, or like limso, which is to search. Um, or motzi, like we say him hamotzi, the blessing for the bread, mm. which is all about like co-creating and seeing like the potential of the bread rise and um, anyway, so um, so that's where the name comes from. So Mitsui Collective.org. Um, we're on Facebook and Instagram um, at Mitsui Collective. Technically on Twitter, but not very active. So you can follow, <laughs> but don't expect much there. Um, yeah, and and definitely would love for folks to to follow. Um, you know, contact info is on the website. Always love to hear from folks. Um, and yeah, and especially as we continue to go grow our programs, we'll have um, you know various options in, in terms of, of plugging in and, and getting involved with things. So, um, yeah, definitely would love to hear from folks. Well, awesome. Well, thank you, Yoshi. Thank you for spending some time with us on this uh, beautiful, uh, what day is it? Beautiful when Tuesday morning. <laughs> Tuesday. Uh, yeah, Tuesday. All the days are bloody. For me, it's like it's like it's Shabbat or it's some other day. That's, <laughs> that's where I'm at at this point in pandemic. I'm like, I mean, thank God for Shabbat. Otherwise, I would have no idea ever exactly we can keep track of it <laughs> well uh thank you for joining us whatever day of the week it is uh we have been uh the weekly kvetch i remain jake rubin uh thank you have a good night everybody and that's our show thanks for kvetching with us this week make sure to subscribe to our podcast on spotify and apple podcasts leave us a review and call a friend to tell them you love them the Weekly Kvetch is hosted by me, Jake Rubin, and our executive producers are Sophie Dwaskin and Nate Strauss. This podcast is a production of MSU Hillel. Yalla bye, my friends. Theme music produced by Peter Cooley.